Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening we're very, very honored to have Mr. Joel Isaacs with us. Many of you might know Joel. He was the webmaster for the CCLB website for many, many years. And at this time, Joel is a, a proud father and a very, very experienced traveler. Uh, in meeting Joel and talking to him, I realized that even myself, as a person who is blind, I said, hey, if he's traveling to these places by himself, then maybe this is something that I could do. And uh, I've also have taken a lot of different trips with my family, and I have come to really, really enjoy this hobby of travel. Throughout all of my life, uh, my parents have had a nursery and farm. So as a kid, we could never go on vacations because there was always labor to do. And the summertime was the time that we worked hard. So I never knew what travel was all about. And I would see these travel shows and people would talk about all the really, really nice places they went to. And I thought, maybe I'll do that one day. And uh, make a long story short for me, I was so busy working as an eye doctor that I never did go on these travels. But after I became blind and after meeting Joel, I'm now a, a, a traveler who really enjoys it. So uh, without any further ado, welcome, Joel. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good, Dr. Bill. Great, great. And and where are you calling from today? Are, are you traveling today or are you at home? I'm at home in Los Angeles. Oh, that's great. And I, again, want to congratulate you on your new baby boy. Thanks so much. You know, is that going to be something that's going to slow down your traveling, do you think? Maybe in the short term, because he's still in months. He's not a, even a year yet. But a little bit after after the year, we'll probably doing be doing more trips. He's actually been on his first trip, though. When he was a month old, he took the flight from New York to Los Angeles. Oh, my goodness. That, that's not an easy one to try for the first trip. He did really good. He he slept through the whole thing. Didn't he smiled at the stewardesses and made a lot of friends. <laughs> oh gosh, that's wonderful. Well, how did you first begin uh to to travel? How were you introduced to travel? Was it through your family as as a child or was this something that you started to do as as you were a, a, a teenager or a bit older? Yeah, you know that's interesting, Dr. Bill. My, my background is, is similar and, and very different at the same time from what you described about your growing up. Uh, my family's been in agriculture for generations. My dad was always had a, the travel bug, and he liked to, to want to he wanted to see the world. So he found himself working in Africa when he was a young man, and he started his family and everything in Africa. I was born there. But uh, based on some uh, unfortunate circumstances, we had to leave like two months after I was born. So I got to travel before I was a year old, and uh, we went from Africa to, to Europe. I lived in Spain for a couple of months of my young life, and then I came to the United States. So I've been traveling for a long time, and my family is very much into traveling, too. And uh, more of a bit of a personal question, if you don't mind, were you visually impaired when you were a child, and were you traveling 
as a child with normal vision, or were you partially sighted? I, I have a, a version of retinitis pigmentosa. So I, I did have 20-20 vision at one point, but I was diagnosed when I was 7 or 8, and my, my vision has been on the slow decline. I, I Actually, before I got into college, I was driving a car still. But uh, soon after getting into college, my vision started to go to the point I couldn't drive anymore. So you have really experienced literally the entire range from having 20-20 vision to then losing some of the peripheral vision and having poor night vision due to the RP. Um, in many ways, RP is very similar to glaucoma. And uh, may I ask, how is your vision now? Do you have any vision now, or are you, uh, like me, I, I am now totally blind? So I'm not totally blind yet, but I have a very limited field, and a lot of times it, for me it's like looking through tissue paper. Oh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, like, I have a ring between the the peripheral and the central that's my useful vision. So, um, when was it that you then first began to travel on your own with with low vision? Was this when you were in college or after that? What was your first trip that you made when you were either alone or you were with a, a friend or what have you? Uh, you know, I've done road trips and things like that all along, even just with my friends. Like uh, when I was in college, my friends and I would go like to San Francisco or Las Vegas, or usually driving. So I, it, it was a mix of, of me being partially sighted and then the other people who were sighted. And was that at all difficult for you, or did most of your friends really know the severity of your vision problem? Or, you know, many times when you're partially sighted, let's say that if you have macular regeneration, you do have some vision. So a lot of people may not understand that you really don't see certain things. When you did these road trips, did your friends really know or understand you were visually impaired, or did you talk to them about your vision? You know, Dr. Bill, you you know about RP, and you know they call a lot of the people with RP the great pretenders (laughs) because you can't tell that they can't see. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that I grew up with that experienced my my losses in vision that still had no idea that I, I couldn't see. Okay, so yeah, many for you, many people didn't know that you had a vision problem. And so when you did go on the road trips in the car with a bunch of your buddies, did you find it to be helpful to explain certain things like, hey guys, you know, I got a vision problem so I can't help out with some of the driving or if you guys stop someplace at, at night, you might have needed help. Did you have any kind of discussion with your friends as you were preparing to take these types of trips? Generally, generally, our, our trips weren't uh, structured in such a way where we were switching off driving. Usually, it was one, somebody with one car and, you know, one driver, basically, and we'd chip in for gas. There was never really any question about who would drive. Okay. So I never had to broach that subject. I pro- probably wouldn't have been comfortable doing it at that time because I'm still, I was still kind of in denial. Because especially as a y- young person, you don't want to really face the fact that you can't drive when all your other friends are. Yes, yes. 
That's so, a real part of the identity of a, of a young person, it's like getting on your feet and being able to drive and go places on your own. And well, how about now that you're older and your vision has become a bit worse, are you now at a point that if you do have to travel or you're going to perhaps be traveling with a group of people and some people you don't know, do you let others know that you have a vision problem or do you take a guide dog or a cane or what recommendations do you have for some of our listeners who are visually impaired? Should they let others know that they have a vision problem or do you recommend they try to hide it? So, so you you started out by listing a couple of the things, letting people know using a cane, using a guide dog. I actually use all of those. Uh, when I when I travel, especially by myself, I try to be very careful and make sure that uh, people know that I have a vision problem. And I do have a guide dog, a seeing eye dog. So she accompanies me everywhere I go now. And before I got her, I was using a cane everywhere. So at this point, the the more, well, okay, it's actually situational. Like in airports and public places, it's better to let the like the official people know that you have a visual impairment, like the stewardesses and the check-in people and the security people. That for me, that seems to to get uh, you know avoid a lot of hassles. Yes, uh, yes, and I agree. I know that when. My vision was starting to deteriorate. I was able to do most things without the use of a cane or using a guide dog. But what I found was that there were so many times that I was perhaps slower or I might be in the wrong line or I was having difficulties reading a sign that it later became easier when I then started to use a cane. And I learned from one of my mobility teachers that there was something called an identification cane. And this is a cane that's very, very lightweight. It folds up. You could stick it in a purse or pocket. But when you're in an area such as an airport, a train station, you're waiting for a taxi cab, anything like that, waiting in line to get into Disneyland, by having this identification cane, it really, really makes things easier because a lot of the employees or service attendants, they see the cane much easier they know you have a vision problem, and they come to provide help for you. So, exactly. Even even when you are asking for help, if you have something that will you know explain to them with a look why you need that help, that actually makes things a lot simpler. A lot of times, if I was traveling without a cane or a dog, trying to explain to people that I have vision that's kind of spotty. People don't really understand that, but if they see the cane or they see the dog, it kind of clicks for them a little easier than having to explain it in great detail. Exactly, exactly. And I know for me, many times when I'm waiting on the curb by the airport for a cab, I have my cane out there, and the taxi driver always says, you don't look blind. I would have never thought that you were blind. And, you know, I kind of laughed at that, and I said, yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of people who are blind, and, and they don't wear dark sunglasses like Ray Charles all the time, or we don't move our head like Stevie Wonder or what have you. And it's a good way to educate others. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned uh, road trips, and are there certain things that you have found to be very helpful when you did take road trips? Did you ever use certain types of low-vision aids, such as a 
monocular telescope or even a pair of field glasses that you would use at a sporting event. Did you use any of those things when you were traveling with your friends just to see the landscape? You know, when I was younger, none of those low vision aids really existed for, you know, for low vision people. I know when I go to places like uh, Center for Partially Sighted or the College of Optometry now, that's like one of the first things that they show you. But but in, when I was growing up, a lot of that stuff was things that you'd put together on your own. I did use field glasses like binoculars. I remember when I was a kid, I went to the 84 Olympics and we had nosebleed seats and I used the binoculars to be able to see the action a lot better. Wow. And, and I've, I've done that in the past just if I want to see something. But... You know, it, it wasn't the formalized stuff that we have now. Yeah, but, you know, they're basically the same thing in terms of the laws of physics. You can go to the sporting goods store, and you can look through some of those different types of binoculars, and they will. I'm certain it did help you to see the events at the 84 Olympics a lot clearer, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, and in in most states, there are doctors, for all of you listeners, there are doctors who are low-vision doctors. They're often optometrists, sometimes that they are ophthalmologists, but what they do is they perform a specialized type of examination where they can then design different types of low visions that may help you. So, for example, if you are traveling on a road trip, a lot of times you might be in the car for hours at a time, and to have a device such as a telescope or a pair of small binoculars that you could hold up and look at the scenery could be real helpful. And how about you, Joel? Did you ever have a telescope, one of these very small, compact telescopes that just fit easily in the palm of your hand? Have no. you ever had one of those? Never, never used anything like that. Okay. Yeah, nowadays, you know, we think about telescopes, and at first we think of these things that are about three feet long, and, you know, you're going to say, I'm not going to carry around a a telescope. Well, those are the types of telescopes that you use to look at the stars, but we now also have what are called compact telescopes that are about the size of of a roll of quarters or a roll of nickels, and it's something that you could carry, hold up, and this is a great way that you could see the sights and you could also use them to read signs if you're waiting for a train or an airplane, and that's something that's really good. Now, Joel, when you were on these road trips, uh, were there other types of things that you found that were important or helpful? What kind of suggestions do you have for our listeners who are partially sighted or blind when it comes to doing a road trip in a car? So I still take road trips now, so I... Uh... In the, like let, let me qualify. In the old days, it would be something like binoculars or something that would be some of your aids while driving, and maybe it might even help you to look at the map a little easier. But now, what I find myself relying on a lot, even in, in a, on a road trip or even on foot, is a GPS. Uh, a lot of GPSs have a thing called look around mode. So they'll tell you what's around you, uh, restaurants or gas stations or or significant sites. So that's, that tends to be something that I use a lot. And I have a family that even though they like to travel, they, they tend to get lost very easily. 
Uh-huh. So uh, the blind, the blind are actually leading, leading the sighted a lot of times in our in our family. <laughs> That's great. Now you, these GPS systems, which are designed to tell you where you are in space, they I know that they use the satellites that are orbiting the Earth. And uh, what kind of a GPS system do you use? Do you use a stand-alone GPS system, or do you use one that's uh, connected to a cell phone or one that's connected to your computer? What do you use right now? Dr. Bill, you know that's a leading question. I, I use my Android phone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it, it, Why don't you yeah. tell everybody about it then? Your, you know, the Android phone and uh, the, the, the application that you're using? So, so the Android phone uh, is basically something that is made by Google. Uh, and different phone companies. You can get these phones at, at, on the general market. They they do have speech capabilities, uh, just like the iPhone. It's, it's just comparable. But with the with the Android phones, navigation is built in and it does talk. So many times, what I will I'll navigate to the navigation application on my phone, and then I'll I'll begin the destination that I want to go to. Like I can say uh, LAX Airport. Oh, sorry, LA International Airport. Or I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, Ralph Supermarket in in Torrance, California. And it'll find, give me turn-by-turn directions and it'll tell me. Uh, my phone will, does either in-car mode or it does walking mode. So you can be on foot, and it'll give you directions according to your mode of transportation. So if a person is shopping for a cell phone and they do buy an Android phone, or if they already have one of these Android phones, is this GPS program, Is does this come standard with the phone, or is this an application that they buy? Yeah, it's part of this, the free Google uh, set of applications that come with the phone. Wow, that's great. So if the phone has a built-in GPS, the navigation will be usable on on your phone. And so let's say that you're traveling and you guys are looking for a a restaurant. You could then use that, and it will identify where are restaurants or maybe banks and ATM machines or even a, a hospital if you needed it. Is that right? Yes. Great. Okay, so you sometimes might use some low vision aids like uh, binoculars and use a GPS to help you as your map inside the town. Uh, are there other other recommendations you have when planning a road trip, or do you have some recommendations of some great road trips? Uh, you know, as far as tools, I, I always tend to, even though my vision's getting uh, less and less as time goes on, I guess. As just a general rule, I always have my my pocket magnifier with me, just in case I need to read something. I haven't really looked at maps in a, a long time, but you know, if, this, if it ever came up, uh, having a magnifier would be really helpful. Yes, uh huh. And we nowadays also have what are called electronic portable magnifiers. So for some people who need more magnification or something even brighter. There are portable video magnifiers that you could keep in your pocket, and they have really high magnification. You could change the colors of the background and the text. You could also change the brightness of the screen. So those are things so that if you do go to a town and you want to read certain things, 
You could read some of the labels that might be on the artwork at a museum. Um, have you ever tried doing anything such as taking photographs while you had partial vision? Did you ever do any type of photography when you were traveling? I still do. Well, tell us how you do that with low vision. Uh, you know, it's a, you, you point and pray. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh-huh. I went to, to India in October of 2010. Uh, I, like to, I, before I, I wanted to see the Taj Mahal and some of those other places that you hear about uh, before I completely lost my vision. So I took, uh, I went and I had a, I actually used my phone a lot. My phone can take video and it can take still pictures. So I found myself uh, in India during the, the, what is it, the Commonwealth Games. It's something like an Olympics, but for like the British, the British, old British countries. Yeah. So they had a lot of cultural events, like a lot of folk singing and dancing and stuff like that. And I wanted to capture a lot of that stuff so I could hear where all the sound was coming from. So I would point my phone in that direction and I would turn on the camera and, and take video. And then if I wanted to take pictures, I would do the same. And, and I still do that. That wasn't just a one-time event. I still use my camera when I can. If you know when when my trip is over, I can always put it on, connect my phone or my camera to the TV and look at it uh, in a lot higher magnification. So I can even watch the video on the TV screen with my my phone or camera hooked up to it. Yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, I think that's even a better way to go because the sound or even when you hear the background of the crowd or the roar of the crowd if you went to any of the games, I, I think it really means so much. And for me, as a person who is blind, when I go places now, I take along my Victor Reader Stream, which is an electronic book player, so I could listen to books when I'm on the airplane or on the train. But it also has the ability to record in very, very high quality. So rather than taking pictures of certain things, then I will do some short snippets and record things. So if I'm having a dinner with uh, some of the people that I've met on my trip, I do a little short little recording of it, and it, it really helps me to remember the event very, very nice. So, um, when Joe, I'm certain that when you went to India, uh, you, you had to do a lot of planning to go ahead and to arrange such a trip. And what recommendations do you have in terms of planning a large trip like that, especially one that's going to be international and uh, getting on many airplanes perhaps, how do you go ahead and begin to plan? What suggestions do you have? Did you use a travel agent, or how did you go about making that trip? Well, well that specific trip, uh, I had help planning that because I wasn't very clear what was going on in, the, in India because I'm, I'm here. So I had tra- help from a travel agent where they had arranged uh, you know, for ground transportation, we actually went to three cities. So we met with the travel agent over the phone that was in India, and they they presented the different options, and and we kind of with, with my family basically, you know, kind of pieced out what we wanted to do. And even even if you're going by yourself on a trip that that is kind of uh, 
bigger than than usual. Uh, it really is important to plan, and you know, you really need to think about what you want to do. It, it, it's something that people with vision have to do too. When you once you go there, what do you want to do? And once you get there, are there certain things that you need because you're going to be away from home for a while? Uh, you know, there there are a lot of things to be consider like that. How much money do you want to spend? Do you want a guided tour? Do you do you want uh, to you know basically do everything on your own, arrange your own trips? Uh, you know, based on where you're going, the questions are slightly different. And when you contacted the travel agent, I, I believe you stated that you use a travel agent from India. And did you did you tell the travel agent at that time that you were visually impaired and that you might need some special accommodations or some special assistance? In this case, no, because I was traveling with like five other sighted people. So, you know, I I can just kind of go with the flow with, with when it's a situation like that. So, uh, you know, I, I basically presented what we wanted to do because I had already planned that we want to see this, we want to see that, we want to go here, we want to go there. So, I, you know, that we planned based on those on those interests that we had. I see. Yeah. And I think it's also good for a lot of you out there who are listening, you might also consider Telling the travel agent, even if you are going with a group of friends or your family who are fully sighted, I think it could be helpful also that you let them know you have a vision problem um, for the for the fact that, for example, when I went on a trip to Japan, I had I had a lot of vision at that time, but I knew that I didn't speak the language very well, and I also knew that I couldn't read any of the signs because of my vision. And so I did tell the travel agent who was here in the United States that I had a vision problem. And in Japan, they had a lot of things that were really set up for people who were visually impaired. So, for example, when we went into some of these old shrines in Kyoto, they have these tours. And so for me, what they had waiting for me is they had these audio recordings. So you could put on a headphone, and as you're walking through the shrine, it will give you a narration of what some of the different things are. And we we decided that we wanted to use a tour guide because we didn't know where we were. And even though the other people we went with had normal vision, they really weren't comfortable driving in Japan. You know, you drive on the opposite side of the street and so on and so forth. So we went to certain types of shows. And we went to see a kabuki show, which is sort of like a, uh, I guess you might say, sort of a play. And uh, because I had a vision problem, they had reserved seats for us in the very front row that, you know, we didn't ask for. We didn't have to pay anything extra for it. But there were just a lot of special accommodations. So that may be another thing to do. You know, uh, Dr. Bill, on this specific trick, I didn't tell the travel agent. But when I would get to see a guide, when I would get to a guide or get to, you know, an, a, the, a site, I would see what was available. For one, I would tell the guides that I have a vision uh, impairment, 
And when they would describe the artwork in some of these palaces, they would give it more detail because because I had asked. And I did I, those uh, recorded guides that you're talking about. Those are pretty readily available. Where you they're mainstream though. You don't really have to tell the 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 ticket people that you have a vision impairment. In a lot of cases, they're just readily available for a small fee or for free. Um, India is one thing, but those, those, if you tell, if you're in Europe and you tell them you have a visual impairment, a lot of the museums will be free and they will give you guides. Wow, that's great. That's great. Same thing in the U.S. too. New York has a lot of guided guided tours where you can go to museums or different places and and have a guide that will describe things to you. In a lot of cases. They're they're scholars, so you can even ask them questions beyond just a, a straight set of notes that that you know would be available online. You could ask them questions in a lot of detail, and sometimes they even let you touch touch things. I, I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York uh, a couple of months ago, on, and I had told them ahead of time that I was visually impaired. I actually got to touch a Picasso sculpture. Wow, is that right? Yeah, because because I was articulate about what what my my visual impairment would entail in visiting that museum, and I don't think I don't think I would have had that experience unless I had mentioned my 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 vision issues. That's wonderful. Yeah, for me, I have just found it to be so much easier to let others know that I have a vision impairment and without having to tell people over and over, that's why using a cane when you're traveling just makes everything easier. Uh, you get on the bus and they give you a better seat or they, they try to make things just more convenient. Now, what about situations, Joel? I'm certain, I know that you have traveled many times alone. Um, this holiday season, a lot of people might be traveling to see relatives alone. Or maybe a lot of people have not done it because they were afraid to travel alone because they might have macular degeneration or glaucoma. Uh, what what types of recommendations do you have for traveling alone, maybe to see friends for the holidays? Uh, you know, for the last three years, I had to go back and forth to to from L.A. to New York at least once every two months. So I I actually got caught into in the the holiday rush a couple of times. And you know what I, I I found I tend to especially domestically within the U.S. I take the same airline, so they know me, and you know I, other things like the articulation being articulate is really helpful over time. When I go to the airport, I can even have somebody take me to the ticket counter. I'll just ask, all you have to do is ask. And when I've gone to the ticket counter, they even supply somebody to take me through the security and get. Take me and uh, to, you know to the gate, and even take me to my seat in the plane. So if you're ever concerned about getting lost in an airport, those facilities are are readily available. And uh, just recently, when I was in uh, uh, training for my uh, seeing eye dog, the the advocacy people at the seeing eye were telling me about uh, an officer of the airport called the Crow. I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a it's an officer that sees that that uh, you know all the regulations are followed in the airport. 
So if you have an issue with the airline or or even a specific person in the airport, you can bring attention of your problem to the crow. And I think it's called chief. The crow is the chief resolution officer. So they're there to see that you have a good experience in the airport. I'm not very sure if if bus travel has the same attention to detail, but definitely in the airports, you they they have your back. Yeah, that's wonderful. I know that uh, that was my biggest fear, Joel, that I didn't think that if I went to the airport by myself that I would find my gate. And so I decided I was just going to try it, and uh, I took a cab to the airport, and when I got out of the cab, I used my cane, and I started to walk towards the direction that everybody else was walking. And one of the sky captains said, oh, hold on a minute, sir. And he said, let me get you an escort. So just as you said, he called an escort and got me through security, got me my ticket, got me onto the plane, and the flight attendant said, we're going to have somebody waiting for you as soon as we land. There will be an escort waiting, and it makes it really, really helpful. Um, Many times if you are going to order your tickets, if you do it online or if you call and you just let them know that you are visually impaired and you like an escort, they're, they're very, very helpful and they're willing to do that. You know, one of my my big concerns in the airport used to be, well, how do I find my luggage on on once it comes down the carousel? All those bags look the same to me. And the you know they can help have an escort help you with that too. I've always had a lot of help finding my my bag on the carousel. I just describe to the escort what it looks like, and many times they'll pull it off the carousel for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Did you, did you ever have any other solutions that would allow you to do it yourself if you were going to want to do it yourself? Did you come up with any other solutions? Well, I always try to, to make my bags a little more identifiable. Even if I can't see it, I can describe it to somebody. So I either put like a ribbon on the, the handle, like a brightly colored thing, or, or I put uh, you know my name on on the bag in big letters or something that make it identifiable. So in some cases I can get it myself or if there's nobody there to help me or somebody can help me because it's so distinctive to look at. Yeah, that, those are just some great ideas. I know, and we just purchased some new luggage and I told my wife, I said, you know what, if you could find the most bright or the ugliest luggage, it could be checkerboard or polka dot, Pick that one because everybody else has black luggage, so pick something different and then we could find it easier. And she was able to actually find something that was sort of a checkerboard, black and white, and uh, it really makes things a lot easier. Now, what other types of recommendations do you have? So you, you did mention that when you do make flight reservations, really plan ahead, know where you want to go, take your GPS system, uh, it seems like you could carry your GPS system in your phone. Uh, you mentioned that you often will take your computer. What other types of, are there any other things that you really take or do you try to travel as light as possible? Or What, what are the things that you've learned throughout all of your travel? Well, the, the thing that I learned in all this travel, is the main thing is you really need to think about how you're going to be away from home for you know a set period of time? What do you need during that time, regardless of whether you're on vacation or if you're seeing relatives or you know 
the fact that you're away from home, what is it that you normally need? Do you need a certain type of medicine? Uh, you know, do you need do you need your glasses? Do you need a you know reading material? Those are the things that will be in my bag when I pack. Yeah, I, there. It's taken me years to learn how to pack, and I I was carrying around a whole bunch of other stuff that I didn't really need. So that, that that's an important thing that I've learned from all this travel. Yeah, those are some great ideas, and I always tell uh, a lot of our friends and things because one of my friends, he actually lost his passport while he was traveling, and I said, you know, it's always good to make a photocopy of your passport and keep it in a separate part, whether you're going to keep it on yourself or in your luggage, but keep that because it, it's very helpful to get back in the country. Yeah, I do that too. I do that too. I hide that in the lining of my suitcase. Oh, uh-huh. And also another thing, if you do take medications, let's say that you do have glaucoma or that you wear glasses, or you need a prescription for your heart medication, take copies of those prescriptions too because there may be situations that you lose your bottle of eye drops. And you could go to the local pharmacy in Japan or wherever you may be traveling, and then you don't have to worry that you're without your medications. Or sometimes it might be that your glasses, just for whatever reason they break, the universal language on all of these prescriptions is so that you could get these things replaced virtually any place that you're at. Now, Joe, do you have a preference in terms of planning a vacation or just planning a trip? Do you prefer to try to find all of these types of good prices on your own, or have you found that there's advantages to using a travel agent? Um, do you save money by not using a travel agent, or does it all depend? It, it, it's always situational, Dr. Bill, always. Um, depending on where you're going, uh, I've, I've done these trips where I plan everything in great detail, and then there are other ones where I will do just a package tour where you'll, you'll use Globus or some of these travel, travel companies, and they'll have a set tour where they pick you up from a, a hotel of your choosing, and then they'll they'll take you on day trips or they'll take you, uh, you know, on longer trips where, you know, you cross uh, countries where, you know, like I've seen package tours where they'll take you to France and Germany and Italy and you're under the care of the tour guide the whole time and they have transportation for you. So it, it really depends on on what I'm trying to do and who I'm with and, and what we want to want to see. I have had situations where I was had had a package tour and that fell through because they they didn't have enough people for the tour and I had to plan it all myself. But either way, it it always works out to something interesting. I like to save money. I I hope other people do. So depending on on what 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 the bang for my buck, I can go either way. Yeah, and I, I also understand that there are certain times that you may find something on the Internet that seems like a great price, but if you call a travel agent, they may be able to beat it because they sometimes have special promotions or certain limited numbers of seats or limited number of hotel rooms that are just set aside for agents. So 
you can always play them against each other, I guess, huh? The, the same thing goes for airlines, too. Like, if you go to to a site like Expedia or or some of these large travel sites and you see a price that looks good, a lot of times if you go directly to the airline, you can get a cheaper price. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yes, it's always good to save money. And have you made any any types of uh, signs, like when you go places, when you were in India, did you make the extra effort to make a sign or something like that that was in the Indian language so that you could hold it up and say, you know, I need a taxi to go to this hotel or anything like that? Have you ever done some of those types of uh, preparations? Yeah, Dr. Bill, and... There's certain places that I'm a little more apprehensive to show that I have a visual impairment. India is one of them. There are a lot of developing countries that I would be less than forthcoming with my vision impairment because I don't know what unscrupulous people would be about. Europe and the and you know U.S. and Canada are a little safer. I I would consider doing that here or in Europe, but. You know, it really depends. You have to use your your best judgment. You know, in most situations, it's it's important and it's a good idea to to let people know. But then there are other cases where it's actually in your best interest to not let people know. It's it's for in the interest of your safety. And what about situations? What I was referring a little bit more to was when you travel to countries that you don't speak the language or they don't speak our language. And if you want to go to, for example, I recall when we when we came to went to Tokyo, and we wanted to go to a particular hotel, I was so surprised. None of the cab drivers spoke any English whatsoever. In that situation, I would make a sign. But but Japan is fairly, as you know, Japan is fairly structured and and organized, and you know it's a little safer. There there are places where it's very hectic, and you you're being pushed along by the crowd, and you you don't want to say that you have a vision problem because you you could get uh, robbed or or you know take it advantage of another way. Yeah. Yeah. But in Japan, I would definitely do that. That that makes a lot of sense. In other places where you're not, when you're planning a trip, if you're not very sure about the language and how to maneuver in that that society, that's that's a good situation to have a planned like a, a package tour where they'll drive you from place to place. So yeah. then you get to see all the things, and then they'll explain to the, what's going on to you in your own language. Yes, yes, that's great. Okay, well, Joel, do you have time to take some questions? We've got about 10 minutes. Do you have some time to take questions from our callers? Sure, Dr. Bill. Okay, let's see. Why don't you all press star six on your phones, and then we'll go ahead and open it up to some questions. Hello. Yes, hi. Your name and your question for Joel. Uh, this is Carla from Philadelphia. I'd like to make a suggestion. Always carry a spare cane <laughs> and... Things that you absolutely have to have with you in a bag with you always don't let it out of your possession because at least one change of clothes and all your meds, if you require them, and and your electronics, 
Yes. If, the, if your bag gets, you're up a you're up a creek at least till the bag arrives. Yes, you're so right. You're so right. And how about for you, Carla? When you travel, do you have recommendations as to where do you carry certain things? Like one of the big questions that I always ask is, where should you carry your passport? If you carry it in your jacket pocket, picket pockets, pickpocketers could take that easier. Or do you carry a particular type of a belt? Or I know that uh, I had another patient who had everything inside the fanny pack, and that's a real no because that's one of the easiest things. They will come behind you and they cut it with a, a knife, and then they run with a whole fanny pack, and people carry everything in there. So, you have any recommendations on that, Carla? Well, I, I usually have a purse that I have ca- the strap carried over my neck. So, you know, and certain pockets are facing my body. So that if they're going to try and grab that purse, they're going to pull me off my feet completely. Um, That's a good idea, though, to put the purse around your neck that way rather than just over your shoulder. Right. It's too easy to grab or just cut the strap and grab. Yes. How about, Joel, do you have any other suggestions on that? How How do you carry a lot of these things, your camera? With your GPS and your passport, <laughs> you, you use a backpack, or what, no. what do you use? The, the, the backpack is too high profile for me. I've been on on trips where people I was with have gotten pickpocketed, and it really puts a, a, a you know down downer onto the trip. But, but luckily, so far, I haven't had a problem. But because what I tend to do is I tend to carry uh, wear clothes with a lot of pockets. And like uh, Carl had mentioned, a lot of inside pockets are important. I have, I, I like cargo pants for for yeah. one when I travel. But photographer's so, vests are good too. Oh, that's a great idea. That works too. Uh, my my phone clips onto my belt, so then it's like within hands reach. So my it's usually when my phone is clipped to my belt, it's usually under my arm, so I can feel if there's any. Uh, you know, commotion under my between my arm and my body. You can buy so holster would, wallets too for guys. Yeah. and that's how my phone is. It's a holster, so you you can feel if somebody's trying to fiddle with it, and it's usually in such close reach to your hands. Uh, with, with wallets, I've used like inside pockets and passports. The same thing, inside jacket pockets or inside or inside the layers of your clothes to to keep the most important things. And a lot of times, if the wallet's in my pocket, I'll have my hands in my pockets, too. And I'm just kind of strolling along, and I look casual. I'm not drawing any attention to myself, but I'm still fairly safe. Gosh, those are great ideas. Yes. Well, how about, does anybody else have a question for Joel? This is Ken with some information to share. Yes, hi, Ken. Hi. Um, a quick, few quick things that I'm sure Joel will agree with. When you're making your reservations with an airline, if you do it by telephone, Typically, airlines have a surcharge, but if you tell them you have a disability, they'll waive that $15 surcharge or whatever it is. When you're, uh, and I agree with Joel that the earlier you alert an airline, the better that you'll need assistance. When you get to the airport or whenever you're asking for assistance, specify, I don't need a wheelchair, because traditionally the person will show up with a wheelchair and then either push it along or expect it right in or something. I know that bothers some people, so oh. be sure to mm-hmm. They usually, you they usually do that for speed. I can move. I can move fast without a wheelchair. But anyway, yeah. But 
keep in mind that you don't have to have a wheelchair with you. And I find it better if I ask them, you know, don't, don't, uh, I don't need a wheelchair. And then uh, I agree with Joel in terms of making your luggage identifiable. Also, be sure you know what your carry-on luggage looks like. I'm, I don't see colors. And I know my 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 waist pack is dark, but if somebody's on the somebody's on the plane trying to unloading, they say, you know, what's your backpack look? Is is this the, is it the green one? I have to know is it dark green or dark blue or, or black. So be sure you know what sighted people say your luggage looks like. Um, on trains, I find Amtrak people extremely helpful, and even without letting them know ahead of time, as soon as you get to the, the terminal of the station. All you need to do is get help finding the customer service office. Once you're at the customer service office, they'll take, do everything for you. They'll help you get your ticket. They'll get you on the train. And keep in mind that ADA standards indicate pre-boarding is appropriate for people with disabilities. That's on the airline. It's on trains. It's even on buses. A long Greyhound bus line, uh, you can get up front and get pre-boarded. And, and occasionally, if somebody seems to be bothered by that, I say, that's in your interest, too, so I don't sit on your lap when I get on. <laughs> an empty bus and then also in buses typically the driver thinks that the best place for for me to sit is in the front row and that's the worst seat for me because the bright light from the windshield my eyes don't like it and there's no leg room either so i thank him and then go farther back on the bus so those are just a few tips that i would share those are really good this is ron strickland from dover yeah go ahead ron um uh, a couple of a couple of more hints (laughs) Um, I know that the, uh, a few of the vendors, Maxiades and others, sell um, little devices that flash and beep or buzz to attach to your luggage. Um, I have ordered couple, a couple of them, and I have yet to find one that works. You know, the, usually they'll have an LED on it as a light source. Well, even if you got 2020, it's hard to see that. In, in you know in full daylight it's such a small thing and it beeps but again because of the size the beep is so weak that you can't hear it because when those carousels are going around it's a noisy place mm-hmm. so um you know i would just I, uh, tell people if you if you have found one that works let us know <laughs> because I had, the, every one that i've tried i've had to return because it, it just did not do the job I had a problem when I had tried to attach one to a, a luggage, uh, a, a piece of luggage being checked. The people at the airlines weren't too thrilled with having this extra doodad on there, electronics. They were a little worried, I think, about security stuff. You know, they, I explained what it was for, but they preferred that it would not go on the luggage. I think bombs, a lot of times, at least when we see them on TV, they have blinking lights and they beep, so... That's why I've always been a little apprehensive about getting one of those those tools because they look like what we think a bomb would look like. And you know how and how sticky Homeland Security and just security and all these travel places are right now. I had a couple of more comments. So in terms of Amtrak, I should have mentioned that they will also notify the terminal at your arrival point, too, and there will be somebody there waiting for it, just like an airline will do. Amtrak does that beautifully to escort you to the hotel shuttle or whatever you need. And in terms of uh, devices, I have an, a, um, a, a, a talking compass that, that I hang on my belt when I go out wandering in the woods near my house. It'll announce the the directions, and even it's even in two languages, either Spanish or English, will announce north, northeast, west, where what direction I'm pointing, and that's very helpful too. Great. Does anybody else have any other 
uh, travel recommendations or suggestions that they want to share? One more, and I'll mention one one more thing that that I do when traveling. Um, Carla mentioned the bag that stays with you at all times with everything in it. Um, I normally, uh, when you get, I'm sure everyone knows when you get your airline ticket, you get a lot of paper along with it. it. So I normally have uh, use one compartment of that bag and put all of my papers, a plane ticket and everything in it, and that zipper for that compartment goes against, I carry it so that it's against my body. So that, uh, you know, they. I think it's just about pickpocket proof that way. So, And you will. One thing is everyone wants to see your boarding pass and your ticket, so you need to have all your paperwork somewhere convenient for you to reach. Yeah, especially now in the plane when you you go through security, you have to take your shoes off, you have to take your belt off, and you have all, your hands full with all that stuff. It, it needs to be easy to, to find and put back. One more comment on Greyhound. I don't know if it's still the case, but it used to be that Greyhound would allow a sighted companion to actually travel free for the person with disability. I've done that at least once. So. Oh, really? Wow, We're, that's, that's a great answer. Yeah. So if you call to uh, reserve some Greyhound tickets, you might then inquire if they do allow a companion to travel for free. I'll tell you one other thing. If you do go to Asia, I I don't know about Europe, but if you do go to Asia, I know that we all think of Japan. I thought Tokyo is just so modern and such. If you go into a public restroom there, there is no such thing as toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) So when you travel, I know that if you go to uh, certain parts of Mexico and such, um, they always say make certain that you do bring your your toilet paper. And one of my doctors was just on a mission to Honduras where she was examining people, and I was telling her about this, this program we were doing tonight. She says, please remind everybody there to take some kind of Imodium or some kind of diarrhea pill because... You never know how you might get it. There might be a little bit of water or something. They might not have washed the the lettuce with uh, bottled water, and uh, you could get Montezuma's revenge. And she said, it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> you know, wet, wet wipes, like wet ones, or you know, they have oh, those yeah. flushable wipes. Those are those are helpful. You know, when I go to a place like Mexico or even India, for that matter, I won't eat any fresh fruit for a little while. I want my body to get used to the area, so I'll eat uh, cooked things and then build up my immunity, and after a couple of days, then I'm okay to eat fruit and things like that. Oh, that's a great idea. Can I uh, throw in a couple of tips from a recent trip that I was was on? Uh, This is John in Los Angeles. Um, in Europe, and you alluded to this, a lot of um, every museum we went into, uh, if I was able to show my card saying that I was legally blind, not only did I get in free, but my wife got in free. And that was true of in five different countries. And sometimes they would give us the, uh, the headphones to, to listen to the uh, you know, description of the art pieces or whatever, or they would just charge a small fee. Uh, and I went to me, the... Go ahead, John. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, it's great. It's just, it was a real nice surprise. Someone had told me to try it once, and now, and once, once I tried it, 
uh, and it was great. And, and because I'm at the Braille Institute, I have a card that says I'm legally blind. And then because they would ask for some sort of proof that my white cane wasn't enough at some of the museums. So if, if you have some kind of card or identification from a doctor saying that you are legally blind, it would be helpful. I went to the Louvre in Paris, and that was the exact thing that that I, I had where I went to the ticket counter and they saw the cane. So they actually moved my whole family to the front of the line, and they actually we took a special elevator to go up to the exhibits. Wow. And it was all because the, the visual impairment. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they would offer me a chair, which I didn't need. I don't know why I thought I needed a chair, but I'd be standing there and say, do you need a chair? Well, no, thank you. <laughs> and major museums sometimes offer what they call touch tours. John, uh, yeah, yeah. Experience in one museum, a museum of modern art here does that to acquire ahead yep. of time. You can get actually yep. a, a touch tour of a lot of museums. Well, that's why I talked about Picasso. <laughs> also, we haven't talked about paratransit, but anybody that's eligible for using paratransit in their home city, keep in mind that anywhere else where there's paratransit, you can arrange ahead of time to get certified to use it paratransit in that city also. And your, your local paratransit system will probably help you do that. Oh, that's great news. Well, this has been really, really wonderful, and uh, Joel, we really appreciate all of your insight in this. Thank cool. you very, very much. And uh, for all of you listeners who, who shared some ideas, we all really appreciate your comments as well. And this is going to be put up on the CCLVI webpage at www.cclvi. I'd like to thank uh, the engineer, Mr. Dick Burden, and this will also be up at the Airs LA website where you'll find thousands and thousands of podcasts specifically geared for people with low vision. So you could listen to this podcast at www.airsaisla.org. Thank you, everybody, and hope all of you guys have a wonderful holiday, and we'll see you in the new year. So thanks, thanks Dr. Bill. Thanks, Dick. Thanks, everybody.